now when she said that, I thought that I was just going to kind of join them to kind of be a bit of a reserve um, and kind of help out where I could. And the moment I arrived, I met Dee and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm involved with the team. Um, and I didn't really know how that looked. And she turned around to me and she said, oh, by the way, on Friday, we're announcing you. Oh, I just, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of um, express, like I've got butterflies thinking about it. Um, but it was the biggest adrenaline rush. And um, the one and only time I got seasick was off uh, the Coromandel, <laughs> um, leaving Auckland of all places. And I think it was just the adrenaline that was running through me. Kiwis are so excited about ocean racing back then and, and I travel around the country and people still talk about the Whitbread days and, and get excited when they talk about it and we want people to get excited about it again. Hi there and welcome to episode 4 of Broadreach Radio, the Yachting New Zealand podcast. My name is Michael Brown, and we've lined up another great interview for you today, this time with ocean sailor Bianca Cook, who in 2018-2019 became the first Kiwi woman in nearly 20 years to compete in the iconic round-the-world race, and is now looking to become the first Kiwi woman to skipper a New Zealand team in the next ocean race. We talked to her about her plans, her intention to take the boat around the country, and the challenges for Bianca around being team leader but also talk to her about her experiences in her first lap of the globe and some of the highs and lows along the way. As always, we ask her about her worst wipeout ever. Now, if you've got some feedback or want to share the story of your worst wipeout, then email michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz. Okay, it's time to roll the interview with Bianca Cook. Enjoy. Well, today on the show, we're joined by Bianca Cook, who competed in the last Volvo Ocean Race, becoming the first Kiwi woman to take part in the race around the world since 2001-2002, and first Kiwi woman to be on a mixed boat. Now she's looking to become the first Kiwi woman to skipper a New Zealand team in the Ocean Race. Not only that, Bianca's entry was announced as the first team to enter the next Ocean Race. So I'm guessing now she'd also like to be the first in the Volvo 65 class. Well, welcome to the show, Bianca. I believe you should have also had a first sail in your reconfigured boat by now. So um, what's the story? Uh, well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, the first day of lockdown was when we were due to actually launch the 65. Um, but it's fair to say, uh, with the lockdown approaching, we made the call about a week out uh, to not launch the boat, which was... Um, it was a hard one to swallow, uh, for sure. Um, we, all we really wanted to do was kind of get the boat in the water and go sailing because we'd had it since August last year, late August. Um, but I think the decision to not launch it was probably the best one that we could have made. And and now, you know, during the lockdown, we've certainly been trying to work away in the background and, and work on a few structural things. And hopefully soon we'll be able to uh, look at launching the boat when we're uh, in level two. So how appropriate is it that you've got your hands on the old turn the tide of plastics, uh, the boat you raced on in the last ocean race? 
Well, I think, you know, it's fair to say the 65 class is one design, so they're all the same, but it was uh, definitely pretty awesome to have the boat arrive into New Zealand and it just kind of felt like an old friend, but it was kind of missing all my old crew members. Um, but it's also it was also uh, Vestas in the previous race, which Tony Ray had raced around uh, the world on as well. So we've both sailed on the boat and uh, we're really looking forward to you know, getting a Kiwi team on it and doing some miles around the country. So did you get a choice of boat? We did get a choice of boat. Um, there were a couple that were already owned, um, but we decided that this was the boat that we wanted to go with. For what reason? Uh, I think sentimental value, probably. And um, as I said to Trey, well, technically it's only done one and a bit laps. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a bit rough. Yeah, it's a bit rough, but, you know, it's, I mean, you've got to joke about it. Like, we've, we've, you don't have to joke about that situation. Sorry, that's not what I mean. But, you know, we, we have good banter in our, in our camp. And, um, you know, we decided that we had sentimental value with that boat and the message that it had in the last race was really important. And, um yeah, we're really excited to have the boat here on New Zealand soil. So why go for a 65 rather than, say, the new Amoka 60 class, which is um, going to be appearing in the next edition of the race? I think the Amoka 60 class is it's going to be spectacular to watch and it's going to be pretty awesome to see the way that technology will evolve. But the thing that drew us to the 65 was that one design aspect and also um, – you know, you've got a team of 10 crew and it gives more opportunities to younger sailors um, and also a bit more diversity, uh, more females on board. And I've always come from team kind of sailing. You know, I'm all about team sports. So having that bigger team is, it's important. Um, But yeah, those 60s are going to be pretty epic to watch foiling around. (laughs) Well, when did you have this idea of a New Zealand team? When did it come up for you? Well, for me, my you know my whole sailing career, I've I've always wanted to sail in the Volvo Ocean Race, and I've always wanted to be involved with a New Zealand team. So I would say it probably stemmed when I was a kid. Um, but during the last race, you know, we had nine New Zealanders in the race, and there was you know no New Zealand team. And even though you know when you sail into your home port it's still exciting and everyone's screaming and everyone's excited and welcoming you in. But the atmosphere that I kind of saw on the dock when we arrived there, it was 1.30 in the morning, um, wasn't quite what I'd seen kind of in the past with, you know, New Zealand boats coming in. So, and everyone wants to see a New Zealand team in the race. And I think all Kiwis that sail in the race want to sail in a New Zealand team. So I'd say it's fair to say when we sailed into Auckland, that was kind of when I really wanted to, make sure that in the next race I was involved with the Kiwi team. And then, so after the last one, you know, how did you go about sort of creating this this new team, this new brand? Yeah, it's it's fair to say I've... Um... I've learned a lot of how to do things and how probably not to do things along the way. Um, and I've definitely seeked the advice from lots of people. I mean, I joined the team really late uh, before the last race. I joined about a month beforehand. So I kind of wanted to get stuck in pretty early. Um, and it kind of evolved. I mean, I'd been speaking with Tony Ray for quite a while and uh, we kind of decided that he'd actually tried to put a team together in, um, for that race, but had never tried, had never matched and managed to get the funding for it. Um, so this idea that, you know, maybe if we came together, um, we could 
you know, uh, kind of get our stick our heads together and uh, do everything that we could to get a Kiwi team. Um, so once we got the boat, that was uh, fair to say that was a pretty big step. Um, and, you know, the, him and I want to do everything that we can to get that boat to the start line and to, you know, have a New Zealand team that the country can follow and be proud of. Do you have much experience being a leader? That's a uh, f- fair question. Um, I don't have a huge amount of experience being a skipper. I have had a little bit of leadership kind of outside of, you know, the racing world, um, especially with, you know, working on super yachts. I've definitely got a lot to learn um, and I'm definitely leaning on those people around me. You know, we've got um, uh, Daryl is kind of advising and, and helping us out anywhere that he can. And I definitely need to lean on those people that have, you know, skiffered teams around the world. And I've got a lot to learn. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I want to make sure that I can do everything to get that boat to the start line and, you know, how it looks once we start. Well, that's the that's a question we'll have to answer when we get there. But my goal is to do everything I can to get a boat on that start line. So, um, I mentioned in the intro that you're the first team to be announced by Ocean Race. Um, and it almost felt, uh, I read somewhere that it was almost a bit premature. Um, just talk to me about that and how scary, I guess, that announcement was. Yeah, it's, it's fair to say... Um, it was uh, not, it didn't exactly go as planned. I certainly didn't plan to be announcing uh, with that live interview. Um, it, I wouldn't say my hand was forced. It's just I wasn't quite ready. Um, you know, I, I kind of always thought that you kind of announced these things when you were kind of fully funded and, and ready to go. Um, and we were certainly not at that stage. Um, but I think, you know, that the end, and the ocean race felt that, you know, it was important to announce that we had entered or had registered, sorry. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was it certainly took me kind of off guard. And I guess I wasn't quite prepared for um, all the people that were kind of reaching out to me at the time. I, I wasn't expecting it. Um, but, yeah, no, it was certainly it's certainly something that we're looking forward to being able to kind of get our teeth into and, and really kind of crack on with. Did it help in, in some respects, though? Because I guess we're here in the background of other potential teams, but now, you know, the public's got something to, to get behind. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, especially when we became an official entry, um, that was something that kind of made it seem like it was actually real and it was actually happening. I think also having the boat as well makes it, much more realistic if we hadn't had the boat and we'd announced an official entry it would have been a bit of a different story but we've had huge amount of support from you know everyone in the marine industry in New Zealand um, sailors and, and it's been and the general public you know at the yacht clubs and it's been awesome to see how excited everyone is at the prospect of there being a New Zealand team in the next race. I just want to take you back a little bit and just how you got into the ocean race in the first place. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your background is in the Yacht Squadron's youth training program and you were part of the women's match racing team um, aiming for the Olympics, which unfortunately women's match racing dropped um, from the Olympic program. So what, what then brought about the change to ocean racing? I'd always had this kind of dream of uh, going offshore and, and you know, going all, not seeing land for days and days. And I actually got into deliveries quite early on and then started uh, 
working on big super yachts and doing Atlantic crossings on J classes. And like, I just thought I'd, you know, I'd, <laughs> that's not really something that everyone gets to do, to do an Atlantic crossing on a J class. Um, but it's just incredible. And just that feeling of being out in the ocean and, and, you know, doing some pretty big speeds and, I'd always followed, you know, the Whitbread and, and the Volvo and it was something I was always very passionate about. Um, so I was always trying to kind of upskill myself um, with qualifications whilst working on super yachts. And, you know, I, I then ended up working on a super yacht where when we went racing, we had half of the race crew that flew in were all of these Volvo Ocean race sailors. Um, and Daryl actually was, was on uh, the boat when we were racing. And I remember just trying to pick all these guys brains and and find out you know how I could get involved with a team be it shoreside or, or logistics or anything and then they announced this whole um in the last race where there was more incentive to have females involved in the teams and uh I remember just being like to Daryl who do I send my CV to and he said you send it to everyone um so uh I actually ended up my CV was passed on to Liz Wardley through a rigger <laughs> in the boatyard um, from offshore rigging. So, you know, it was just a matter of making the most of every opportunity that I could possibly get. And uh, I finally managed to get in there. And I've, I've always had this passion for being on the ocean. And I've, I've been to some of the most incredible places. And But being able to race around the world was always a dream. So to be able to do that was, well, that it was amazing. You kind of hear these stories about super yacht owners and they're a bit demanding. Were your, was your experience slightly different from perhaps, say, the um, the cliched version of working on a super yacht? <laughs> you mean the below deck reality TV shows? Um, yeah, it's it's fair to say my experience on super yachts was, was quite different to what you see on TV. I was really lucky to have worked on some incredible boats with awesome crew and great owners that wanted to see the world so I got to go to some incredible places and and these owners really wanted to sell their boats so we really probably pushed them a little harder than you're maybe supposed to but I mean it was awesome and and it's fair to say I uh I learn a lot working on super yachts and it's it's certainly different and I think I almost channeled my experience on doing deliveries on super yachts during the uh lockdown it's uh very similar only differences you get to you, we were able to go for walks and, you know, call people, but it's, it's a very similar situation. But um, no, the, my experience of working on super yachts was, was awesome. So how did the chance with Turn the Tide then come about? The chance with Turn the Tide, um, like I said earlier, was, uh, uh, you know, when they changed the rule and they were looking for more females kind of to be involved in these, on the boats, it was more of an incentive to have a female on your team. Um, and I was actually up in the UK studying uh, for my officer of the watch when I'd heard that there was a Volvo 65 doing some deliveries. Um, and my sister actually did a delivery on the same boat from Alicante to Lisbon, and I got the opportunity to do the delivery from well, the opposite way, sorry. So she did Alicante to Lisbon, Lisbon to Alicante. I did Alicante to Lisbon. Sorry, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> and um, that was, and when I actually arrived in Alicante was when they announced that this team was going to be called Turn the Tide on Plastic. So this was just a delivery, but in a sense, it was actually a trial as well. And I remember getting to Lisbon and, you know, 
trying to pick Liz Wardley's brains and and kind of you know see what I could do to be involved and I actually had a day um, extra in Lisbon so I kind of helped out in the boatyard and and just tried to do anything I could do to be helpful but not do anything to get in the way of anyone (laughs) Um, and you know I sent my CV to D and you know I I kind of thought it was going to be a um, you know maybe I won't hear anything and I did hear back from Dee, but I was actually on on a boss trip in Fiji and she'd asked me to um, come and do a trial, which was when they were doing leg zero. Um, and I unfortunately was in the Lao group and I couldn't get to the trial. Um, so it's fair to say when you're given an opportunity like that and you have to turn it down that you think that, you know, this is it, that's it. You're never going to get that opportunity again. Um, but about... Three weeks later, I got asked to do a fitness test. Um, bearing in mind by this stage, I'm out the back of Vanuatu and can't really get to a gym. So I kind of had to improvise with, <laughs> with the fitness test on like how to do pull-ups and uh, kind of anywhere I could on the boat. And, and then I, uh, we got to Numea and I got a phone call from Dee. Um, by this stage, she um, she said, you know, uh, how much time do you need to get to Lisbon? And I was like, well, I need two weeks because I need to get the boat back to New Zealand and then I can come and then a week there to prep and then I'll be there. Now, when she said that, I thought that I was just going to kind of join them to kind of be a bit of a reserve um, and kind of help out where I could. And the moment I arrived, I met Dee and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I'm involved with the team. Um and I didn't really know how that looked. And she turned around to me and she said, oh, by the way, on Friday, we're announcing you. And I thought, what? <laughs> Bearing in mind that by this stage, my dad had told pretty much everyone at the Yacht Squadron. And I'm like, dad, shh, like, don't tell everyone. Like, we don't know if this is happening or not. I could just be a reserve. But when the moment that um, Dee told me that I was being announced, I was just like, wow. <laughs> so uh, it's fair to say it went pretty quickly after that. <laughs> Seems to be a bit of a theme with you and announcements, actually. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of get caught off guard. Maybe I should be better prepared for these things. <laughs> so you mentioned beforehand, and uh, before the race, rather, that you wanted to see how far you could push yourself. Um, did you get close to your limit? D- during the race, um, I think mentally you I probably pushed myself further than I ever thought that I could push myself um it's interesting because you hear about how it's such a physical race and don't get me wrong it's extremely physical and you know you're trying to push yourself as hard as you can and you know when you're in the southern ocean and you're freezing cold and you just have to push that little bit further but I think mentally it um it is extremely challenging and uh, I've certainly managed to give it a lot more than I thought I could ever give. Um, I think that's probably why I want to go and do it again. (laughs) And then what was the hardest thing about the race? The hardest thing about the race was probably when, um, probably the Southern Ocean. Um, That was, that was really tough. It was a tough time. Um, it was the most extreme sailing that I've ever done offshore and it was the highest highs and, and then obviously the lowest lows. I think, you know, the loss of, of fish really hit everyone um, really hard and that was quite hard to kind of push through. Um, that was probably the hardest point of the race for me. 
I think I also saw though that after the Southern Ocean League, you're one of the few who said sort of almost immediately that you wanted to go back. Um, what were, what sort of captured you about the Southern Ocean? Um, that's absolutely right. Um, even though it was a tough leg emotionally, it was the most. Uh, I just, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to kind of um, express. Like I've got butterflies thinking about it, um, but it was the biggest adrenaline rush. And that feeling of, you know, leaving New Zealand and going into the Southern Ocean, I remember Mike Sanderson saying to me, you know, prepare yourself before you go down to the dock because saying goodbye is going to be the hardest goodbye that you'll ever have to do. And I thought, that's a bit weird. And um, he was right. I was like, wow, this is actually quite an emotional goodbye. And um, the one and only time I got seasick was off uh, the Coromandel. <laughs> um leaving Auckland of all places and I think it was just the adrenaline that was running through me um but that that leg I I as a team we worked so well we pushed ourselves probably harder in that leg um than we did in any other leg and I think that that was because we were really really driven to get a better result and I do remember seeing Cape Horn and thinking is that it and it was mostly because it was overcast and we were bashing into waves and and we could see Matt Frey with its shredded mainsail. But then as soon as we got around Cape Horn, I've never seen more smiles than, like, we were the happiest crew and it was such an experience for us all to have, you know, rounded Cape Horn together. And uh, I just, it was hard. It was a hard leg, but I just really wanted to experience it again. And I think that was probably one of the reasons why I just really wanted to go back. Just talking about the whole race as as a, as a whole, how did the experience change you? <laughs> um, I think I've got a huge amount of respect uh, for any uh, offshore sailor, any any um, high performance sailor, and I think uh, with regards to how it changed me, it, it kind of changed my outlook a little bit more, and it also made me kind of realise how important the environment is as well. Um, that was certainly probably the biggest thing that came out of the race for me and that the impact that we're having on our environment around us has been huge and we could see that when we were out there and I think that was probably the biggest thing that I probably took away from that. I guess being involved with a team like Turn the Tide would have quite a profound impact. So what about the new team? Do you have environmental goals with with your team as well? Absolutely. I think, you know, the race itself is really um, pushing for that. It is really pushing for ocean health. And that's something that I'm extremely passionate about. And uh, the team will certainly be having um, an ocean health kind of aspect to it. We're still kind of defining what that will be. Um, but we'll be doing everything in our efforts to make sure that our impact on the environment is as small as possible. Um but yeah, I mean, I just I just look at what Pete and Blair have done with Live Ocean, and I just think it's so fantastic to see you know two big sailors you know really highlighting the importance of looking after our environment and doing it in a really positive way. So where's your new team at? You know, how many sailors have you got signed up? Shore crew, those sorts of things. <laughs> Well, you know, the ball was kind of just starting to roll uh, when we went into this uh, lockdown, but it's fair to say I can't really tell you how many or who's signed up. <laughs> um, uh, we've still got a few things that we kind of need to iron out and it's been fantastic to see, you know, how many sailors have been sending me their CV and, you know, wanting to get involved and it be shore crew or or on the sailing team. And um, at the moment we do have quite a small 
shore team, I guess you could say. Um, but we do have quite a few sailors that are, are uh, getting involved now. And I think, you know, now that unfortunately with the events of uh, what's going on in, in the world at the moment, we, uh, well, not unfortunately, I think it's, you know, we've got all these Kiwi sailors that are here that we can really lean on and um, get some good sailing time whilst uh, we're all here in New Zealand. So how do you pick a team? You know, how do you settle on people who have got the right attributes physically and um, I, I guess socially? Well, I think that's a very um, fair question and it's not something I've really had the experience with, which is why I am leaning on, you know, the people that have around me. But I think it's the most important thing is somebody who's, you know, really ambitious but has, you know, that team um, aspect, you know, really wants to get involved with everything but really is a team player. It's so important with these teams, you know, that you are willing to get involved with all aspects. And have a good attitude. I mean, it's so hard. You can be out there and you can be extremely tired and just want to go to sleep. But you need to remember that you've got, you know, nine other sailors around you that are pushing really hard. And I think that's probably what keeps other people pushing hard as well, is that nobody wants to let their team down. But will it be an all New Zealand team? You know, you've mentioned that you'd like it to be, but are you confident at this stage it will be fully crewed by New Zealanders? I mean, that's, like I've said in the past, that's certainly our ambition. Um, And we just want to be able to fly that Kiwi flag proud and have, you know, that team that all of New Zealand can really get behind and be proud of. So, yeah, our ambition is to have a full New Zealand team. and, And that's, you know, having ties to New Zealand, being in New Zealand, be it shore crew, sailors, logistics, you know. We just want to be able to have a team, like I said, that everyone can get behind and follow. When would you like that team to be confirmed, the sailing team? Oh, like a month ago? (laughs) No, I mean, we are certainly navigating uh, a different kind of outlook now. Um, We're having to put quite a few different um, tactics in place, I I guess you could have it. Um, But I think we've still got quite a long way to go with how this is all going to look. So it's it's going to be a little while um, until we know what the sailing team looks like. But I think it's really important that, you know, a team is not just the sailing team. The team is, you know, the people that make the whole operation happen. So, no, I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to get stuck into some boat work soon. (laughs) It sounds like you're, you know, borrowing some ideas of past New Zealand teams. You've talked about a, a New Zealand tour. Just to sort of explain to me, what that's all about. Oh, certainly. um, Definitely borrowing ideas from previous New Zealand campaigns. Um, And I think that was kind of what made those New Zealand campaigns so great was that, you know, they travel around the country and and the communities got behind them. And that's certainly something that we had decided on doing well before we even got the boat in New Zealand. Um, We really wanted to be able to take the boat around the country and kind of give back to yacht clubs and give back to the communities and, and get people excited about there being a New Zealand boat back in the race. Um, so I did do a little bit of a tour around some yacht clubs. I didn't manage to make it to all of them. And that was really just to kind of talk about my experiences with the last race and and our ambitions with a new team for the next race. And it's all about trying to engage with those yacht clubs and those communities and just kind of get people excited about ocean racing again. What, what sort of response are you getting? 
Um, it was. It's all been really good, actually. People are really excited, um, wanting to do anything that they can to kind of support us and, and get involved, and um, you know, be it from following us on Facebook or Instagram or. Um, yeah, no, it's been it's been. I've had a huge amount of of good good comments from people uh, traveling around, and and people just want to see a New Zealand team back in that race. And if if people want to be involved, what can they what can they do? Yeah, so at the moment, um, we have Facebook and Instagram uh, social media platforms kind of set up, and we have a website where people can kind of go to to. Kind of sign up to updates and um, also send CVs or anything through if they want to be involved. It's still early days uh, coming out of this lockdown, so we're still kind of getting a few things in place and trying to figure out how the team will look. But you know, we just want everyone to be excited and um, to come on board. And the big question: Have you got enough money? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll just be completely honest with you. No, not at this stage, um, which is why, you know, uh, this lockdown is, is it's really hurt a, a lot of sport, sporting sporting teams, um, charities, yacht clubs. Um, I know that a lot of small businesses are really feeling the impact of that. So I think it's fair to say we've, we've kind of put the um, – the funding uh, on a bit of a holding pattern um, for now. Uh, but as we kind of, as our communities kind of become more settled, um, then we'll kind of start that up again. But yeah, we're still, we've still got a long way to go. Um, but like I said, uh, Trey and I want to do everything we can to get that boat to the start line. I guess that's just another aspect of being the team leader and skipper, isn't it? You're also you wear so many different hats, like a marketing one, a sales um, sort of hat. You know, how are you coping with all of the aspects of the role? Um, it's quite interesting because uh, we've had Briar. Uh, she's kind of come on board and helping us out with the marketing and, and business plans. And when she first arrived, she said to me, she was kind of like, it's kind of like an emergency operating move, uh, room. It's, uh, it's quite chaotic, isn't it? <laughs> Um, and what she meant was that, you know, it, it has been uh, certainly quite an interesting process. Um, you know, like you said, you go from one minute, you're thinking about marketing and, and budgets and, and boat work. And I think it's fair to say in the early stages, I probably should have um, maybe got a little bit more advice from people. And I actually uh, had a phone call with Dee not so long ago, and she gave me some really good advice on kind of how to run operations and um, which was awesome, and yeah, it's 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 fair to say it's uh, my brain certainly runs at a million miles an hour. Um, and Trey and I have probably been talking about what the boat's going to look like uh, for almost a year now. <laughs> so there's certainly lots to juggle, but I'm quite lucky now that we've kind of got a little bit of a, a team set up in the background to kind of take a few more uh, things off off my shoulders, which is it's been awesome. And so when are you hoping to hit the road, so to speak? When are you hoping to do this tour with the boat? Uh, originally, we were looking at doing um, this tour with the boat um, kind of around the country towards the end of the year um, in October, November time. We just have to, you know, wait and see kind of how operations can kind of run um, out the other side of this uh outbreak or community um, situation so we've got a lot to think about um, and you know we're, we're making sure that we're you know 
keeping everyone's health and safety um, at the most priority. So, you know, we've got a lot to sort out, a lot of yacht clubs to talk to and communities, but um, originally our first race was meant to be the Auckland to Fiji race, but now it's looking like uh, our first race might finally be the uh, Coastal Classic. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'll be a spectacular (laughs) way to do it. Yeah, I mean, we really wanted to have the boat in the water um, to do the Coastal Classic last year, but we just didn't quite have the time. And then operations kind of slowed down kind of into your summer holiday break. Um, But yeah, I mean, the Coastal Classic's an awesome race and to be able to have that as the first race that the boat does would be, it'd be great. Did you have a sort of a calendar of events you would like to take part in? And I guess they're all in pencil right now, given the uncertainty uh, around the world. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of uncertainty at the moment, um, but we just really want to focus on on New Zealand. And, um, you know, there's the Auckland to, uh, sorry, the Sydney to Auckland race at the start of next year that we were planning to do. Uh, so we're still working towards that. Um, but we really, once we can kind of get the boat in the water, we really want to focus on kind of training around New Zealand and, um, yeah, spending time here. Are there any sort of indications out of um, HQ whether the race will actually start on time? Um, obviously, uh, the race are really working towards the same schedule at the moment, um, as far as I'm aware, and we haven't heard otherwise at this stage. Obviously, uh, with the situation that's happening around the world, there are a lot of talks going on, but as far as I'm aware, they're still working towards that October 21 start. So does that date, does it feel like there's plenty of time or does it sometimes feel a bit overwhelming with all the work you have to do? Um, I think we're quite lucky with having the one design class um, and we already have the boat. So I think the thing with time is that it's probably time on the water that we're losing at the moment. Um, but I think that we can still, you know, get to get a good team together and a competitive team um, and still be able to make it to the start line. Uh, so that start line comes around. What do you think is going to be the thing that you're looking forward to the most about the next race? Ah, uh, starting. <laughs> Almost like the end of the journey, is it? Yeah, yeah. well, it's not, it's, it's, it is kind of the end of the journey, um, but it's also the start of a new one. Um, and I guess you kind of look at this as two phases, you know, there's the lead up to the race, um, which is probably where mo- it, it is where all the hard work gets put in behind the scenes. Um, and then there's the race, and that's when you kind of see that hard work paid off. Um, so no, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the start, but I mean, th- there's no doubt that I'm, I'm more than ever looking forward to being able to sail into New Zealand uh, with a New Zealand boat. Yeah, you, you sort of, it sounded like it wasn't quite the experience you were looking for. How hard were you pushing on that, that boat last time around? Because you guys were not far off the lead actually coming into the, the final stretch there. Oh, we were, we were pushing hard for sure. Um, I know that I said that in the Southern Ocean we probably pushed harder than we'd, we'd ever pushed, but we were always kind of feeling there was a lot of pressure on us um, and it was always like, oh, maybe maybe turn the tide on plastic, we'll get a podium, we'll get a podium this leg. And, you know, there were legs where we were, where we were leading and um, but we never quite managed to, to get that podium finish and that was – it was really hard because kind of from management and from the ocean race, it was maybe they'll get a, a podium finish this time. Maybe they'll get a podium finish this time. And I think that really as a team, 
was really played on our minds and we were pushing hard. Um, we never let the throttle off, but there's certainly that, that sense of, um, you know, you're absolutely gutted when you cross that finish line and, and yet again, you haven't made a podium finish. And I think probably of all the finishes was coming into Auckland where, you know, we'd been doing really well. Uh, we'd pushed so hard coming into New Zealand. We were third to see New Zealand and yet we were fifth when we crossed the finish line. And, and for my entire team, they were absolutely gutted when we got to New Zealand, you know, they were all upset and, and fair enough, you know, we'd worked so hard and, and we'd gone from third to fifth me, on the other hand, I was just like, we've sailed into New Zealand. This is this is my lifelong dream. Um, and I was over the moon. And it, it wasn't until the next day when I kind of watched back the arrivals of, of how gutted my team was. And um, I kind of didn't really help the situation by being so excited to arrive in New Zealand. And it, and it was tough. You know, we, we were a team that didn't have a huge amount of um, – training and the lead up to the race um and I like I said I joined a month before um but we we did we we pushed hard and we wanted to prove ourselves as a team that that wasn't the inexperienced team you know the the rookies that we wanted to prove that we knew what we were doing um so I think that's why going into this next race I really wanted to make sure that we had a team that that had time on the water and weren't being referred to as as those inexperienced sailors because I think like us as the younger sailors on the team was probably the thing that kind of was the most frustrating thing that was always being talked about in the media. There's quite a, a formula with the crew that you've got to take. You know how difficult is I guess to to manage those those rules around um, gender balance, age um, brackets, and and finding the right mix. Yeah, you're not wrong there. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how we make it work. We're going to have to have reserves um, for quite a few positions. So the team makeup for a Volvo 65 is you have to have a crew of 10 plus an onboard reporter. The onboard reporters are a part of the team again in the next cycle. Uh, you have to have a minimum of you know three women on the team. And that's not to say that you'll only have three but that's just the minimum requirement. You have to have three people that have experience either in the race or in the Southern Ocean um, in racing. And you have to have six under 30 and three of those have to be under 26. So it is certainly um, a few boxes that you have to kind of juggle. Um, But I think that's also the thing that really attracted us to this class was, you know, that diversity in age and in gender. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, the thing that we felt that we needed the most was time and, and time to give those younger sailors the experience on the water that they haven't really had up until now. So it's, it's about thinking long term about our legacy then, is it? For sure. I mean, one thing is that we really wanted to, you know, reignite New Zealand's passion for ocean sailing. I mean, you look back to Ceramco and, and Outward Bound and and Endeavour and Steinlager and Lion New Zealand and and it's just, you know, the Kiwis are so excited about ocean racing back then and, and I travel around the country and people still talk about the Whitbread days and, and get excited when they talk about it and we want people to get excited about it again and, and our plan was always to purchase the boat and get it down here and get, you know, younger sailors on the boat and create, you know, the next ocean race sailors of tomorrow and, yeah, create a legacy and, and 
you know, give ocean racing as an option or a road to go down with regards to sailing. I guess it won't have escaped your attention that uh, the Paris Olympics is bringing in an offshore keelboat, double-handed mixed um, offshore keelboat. Is that something, I know you're busy right now and got a lot of balls that you're juggling, but is that potentially something that interests you? Uh, it's, it's actually quite um, an interesting one because when we arrived in Brazil, Brad said, oh, Bianca, what do you reckon this two-handed Olympics thing? And I was like, what are you talking about? And that's when I found out, kind of found out a bit more about it. And it's it's an interesting concept and and certainly something that would be quite interesting to explore. And, you know, New Zealand, where we're so lucky here, we have such an impressive um, two-handed fleet, especially with, you know, the sand series and the round North Island and around New Zealand. And I'd love to get more involved into two-handed sailing. So what would you say to a, you know, a young Bianca Cook out there or a young Tony Ray, um, you know, who might sort of start thinking about these sorts of things? What do they need to do? I'm actually just looking at myself as like a really young Bianca with like a tutu going to ballet classes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I, I think. Work, work on those plies. <laughs> hey, I did, believe it or not, I did ballet for 10 years, actually. <laughs> um, well, helps, that, you, helps you around the deck, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, good balance. And that's not me telling everyone they need to take ballet. Um, no, I would, I would say, you know, these are, these are different times uh, that we're going through at the moment. And I think it's really, important that people you know try and upskill themselves wherever they can and make the most um, of every opportunity that comes across your way and you know it it could just be that it's a delivery on a 30-foot boat from Fiji to Auckland but why not jump on it I mean it'll be a hell of a ride Uh, and I think it's really important that you know don't forget to dream the America's Cup and the Olympics and ocean racing is still there. So I think it's really important that people still continue to set goals and still continue to dream big. Well, thank you, um, Bianca. Um, really appreciate your time today. But before we let you go, um, obviously need to ask you about your worst wipeout ever. <laughs> um, it's, it's fair to say I've had a couple, um, but the one that kind of springs to mind was when I was in a youth program at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron. And we were in the Elliot six meters and my crew was Cody Banks and Sam Molesworth. Sorry, guys, dropping you in it here. Um, and we were boosting it down past North Head and we kind of, we broached and then we wiped out and I went to go and put my feet under the hiking straps and missed. And so did Cody, who was on the helm and we left our <laughs> so we both fell in the water and it was blowing about 25 maybe 28 knots and um poor Sam was kind of left on the boat to kind of deal with it and uh luckily a launch had seen it all happen um and kind of boost boosted over to us and picked us out of the water but um <laughs> it was certainly uh pretty uh entertaining I um winded myself pretty badly when I fell in the water but I think the most entertaining part of it was trying to see Sam uh, drop the kite on his own Um, (laughs) but uh, it was an epic wipeout and uh, no it was good. (laughs) Were there any scary ones um, during the the, the ocean race? um, We had you know like there's no doubt we we certainly had a, a few wipeouts we had one wipeout going up to Newport where the sheet snapped. Uh, and to me, it sounded like the rig 
had had something had happened to the rig, the violent sound of it thrashing around. Um, and then there was another one in the first Southern Ocean where we actually uh, had a crash jibe. And I don't think you could call the crash jibe controlled, but when you watch the video, it looks like it was like a very, it felt very slow motion. But I was on the top bunk forward and I get kind of claustrophobic. Um, so it's fair to say that when I was stuck to leeward in the top bunk and fully pulled up, I uh, I didn't panic, but I certainly tried to get out. And Liz was um, just kind of like, calm down, Bianca. And I was like, I need to get out. I need to get out. Um, so I got out of my bunk. but And I was actually okay, but down the back of the boat, um, because we'd crash jived, the whole stack had actually landed on um, the people in the back bunks. So I think it was, uh, we were very lucky that we got it under control quickly. Um, but it was kind of for an experience for me. I, I get claustrophobic and it's definitely not where I wanted to be. <laughs> I guess as skipper, you get your choice of bunk beds, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's fair to say uh, I certainly don't want to sail around the world on that top Ford bunk <laughs> again. <laughs> Well, um, thanks again. We really look forward to seeing um, the boat on the water sooner rather than later and also to see um, how your campaign gets um, pieced together. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see which members um, of the sailing crew and shore crew you put together and, and just um, what uh, the team's going to look like as we get closer to the next instalment. So best of luck with all that and um, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed putting it together. And make sure you join us next Friday for another episode of Broadreach Radio. Until then, take care.